The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams The podcast versions of the original Facebook Live readings during the coronavirus outbreak by Matthew Ogden, The Bearded Wit Please bear in mind that as Facebook Live recordings, these are rough and ready, there are mistakes, there are a few trip-ups here and there, and there is laughter from the reader as he goes through and follows the humour himself along with you, the listener. We hope you enjoy listening to these and share liberally. Part 47 Before we begin... I'd like to ask you to seriously consider becoming a patron of The Bearded Wit by going to patreon.com forward slash The Bearded Wit. You can support me from as little as $5 a month, which is essentially a cup of coffee, uh, and that will mean that I will be able to continue producing this material and other podcasts that I do, and it would mean the world to me to have you um, know that you're, you've got my back on this. Uh, I love producing this material for people, and it's been a huge pleasure for me to do this, uh, which basically starts as a project for family and friends right back at the beginning of March last year uh, when the COVID-19 um, uh, virus was really beginning to kick in. It was a way of basically connecting friends and family all over the world who were finding it a bit difficult as we all did and it's grown into something where I've got a lot of people listening all over the world. It would mean the world to me if you could take the time just to pop over to uh, patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit sign up from as little as five dollars a month as i say uh it's a cup of coffee it would mean the world to me because the more of you guys you fabulous people out there that do it the more i'm able to do more of this stuff for you on an ongoing basis no obligation but if you can i would be so deeply grateful also, if you could take a moment to pop over to Facebook and uh, give The Bearded Wit a like and follow, uh, and also go over to my new YouTube channel as well, um, just search for The Bearded Wit uh, and subscribe. Uh, I'll be putting all of the live readings slightly edited um, and cleaned up a bit uh, onto that uh, over the coming weeks. Um, but yeah, join up, uh, get involved, like, share, follow, subscribe, do all the usual social media things. Okay, on with the reading. Thanks very much, everyone. Um, before we start, I have to do the usual thing. Oh, I always do this wrong. Uh, there, here we go. Um, please sign up if you're not already. Please sign up on patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit to become a patron. Um, or make a one-off don donation on supporter.acast.com forward slash the hyphen bearded hyphen wit. Um, so please, if you haven't signed up, please do. Um, I haven't got a lot of patrons and it would be lovely to have more. And those that I do have are fabulous and have been with me right from the outset. Um, but yes, please do, because it means I'm going to be able to do more and more of this stuff. Uh, even though we're getting to the end of uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I've reached out to the patrons I've got to ask them uh, really for their feedback on where they think we should go next. Um, and I'd be very pleased to hear from you, even if you're not a patron, with your ideas. So, a quick recap. Uh, we are in, and another thing, the uh, fourth, fourth, sixth 
book of the trilogy, uh, penned by Owen Colfer, who was commissioned to write the book uh, after uh, Douglas Adams's uh, untimely death. Um, and he also wrote it um, uh, in mind of, of, of it being a little less bleak. Even Douglas Adams, as I've said in previous podcasts, even Douglas Adams thought that the, uh, the note that he left it on um, with the, the fifth book was a little bit kind of harsh um, because basically he killed everyone. <laughs> all of our heroes um and had already always uh, sorry um intended to to pen something a little um yeah a little less bleak uh, as an ending so and this is what the what was written um, with the blessing of the estate uh, and um it's interesting th- this book uh, i'm learning this book as we go along with you i have never read this book prior to doing this reading i dipped into it and i'd read uh, a synopsis and it's actually different from the radio shows wrap up uh, interestingly enough um so there are a lot of people out there in the in the world of fandom of, of the hitchhiker's guide who get sort of peeved at different versions and say that the film isn't very good or the the tv series is rubbish or that this and that and the other and the reality is that douglas adams was um very, very um, keen to change if he felt it was was needed. Uh, and, and hence uh, Trillian um, being American in the film rather than uh, this kind of transatlantic sort of thing that happened in the first uh, and very English in the radio series. Whatever. Take from it what you will, um, but basically just be a hoopy fruit about it. It was the be-all and end-all of it. So... Sixth book. We have been with our heroes who've been rescued by Zaphod, who seems to have put together some kind of weird grudge death match uh, between Thor and Wowbagger. Thor and Wowbagger have had their fight. Wowbagger survived, but had the, the immortality. Oh, uh, hi, James. Uh, I'm, I'm very glad to be back to Weekly as well. Um, sorry, there was a little comment in <laughs> on the Facebook um, thread. Um, yes, um, brain. Hello. Uh, yes. So Thor and and Wowbagger. Uh, Wowbagger has become mortal because Thor twatted the immortality out of him. Uh, consequence of that, uh, also in dark space, Trillian and Wowbagger fell in love. Uh, and they have disappeared off into a, a beautiful sunset on, on the town of Grishnir. And we're left on Nano. Nano is this this sort of uh, weird um, multi-trillionaire's retreat from, from Earth, um, which was designed to be perfect for very wealthy retirees and, and, and uh, staffed by very fit sort of yoga and fitness instructors to make everyone's limber. Uh, but the Vogons, particularly Prostetnik Vogon Jelts, got wind of the fact that in spite of the fact that he thought the totality of humanity and particularly just Earths had been eradicated at the end of the previous book, he found out that this little colony exists and he's off about to enter into the atmosphere um, with a view to absolutely obliterating Nano, this little um, planetoid. Um, 
And that's kind of where we left it. They're coming into the atmosphere. Thor and, and uh, um, Zaphod are celebrating Thor's magnificent victory. Um, and the nanites have figured out that there might be something afoot, like there are things that uh, hang in the air in exactly the way that bricks don't uh, above them. And that's where we left it. And we also found out, actually, that uh, President Nick Vogon Jelts, Christ knows how, has an offspring. Uh, and his, his offspring is is not really very Vogon. He's, he's daring to evolve a bit, quite likes country music, and really doesn't want his father to destroy uh, the planet Nano. Because he'd like to have a conversation with people about country music. That's where we left it. So, what we found out at the end of the last episode was that there is a very secret weapon. So, a secret experimental weapon that Prostetnik Vogon Jeltz is very keen to try out. Nano. Arthur Dent had picked himself out a nice outfit from New Top Man and was quite enjoying the simple pleasure of wearing grown-up clothes, though he felt certain that with random at his elbow, the enjoyment of simple pleasures was destined to be short-lived. This place is not exactly the political centre of the galaxy, he told Random, but at least there's... No running and screaming. Not yet there isn't, responded his daughter. I'm sure you'll bring doom down on us all presently. It's your destiny to be a cosmic Jonah. Arthur didn't argue. He didn't have an argument to present. Random and Arthur were seated at a bench in John Wayne Square, eating homemade ice cream in the shadow of a John of a shadow of a John Wayne in his Sean the Boxer pose statue. We can settle here. You can live with me, or, or with Trillian, if you like, when she gets back from her honeymoon, or both of us. Whatever you like, you have options now. Random could feel the glow of contentment warming her chest, but she fought it. I don't know if I should even be eating ice cream, she said. It's dairy, isn't it? That's a bit close to cheese. The tyromancers might not like it, and I should respect their beliefs. So, all dairy products? That's going to be difficult. Cows will be devastated. Random did not stop eating. I think we need to draw up some sort of a list. I mean, I can't give up milkshakes. I just found them. Arthur leaned back, tilting his face towards the sun. I saw A-seed preflux coming out of a bakery with a four-cheese quiche this morning. Random spewed honeycomb vanilla. What?! After everything he fought for? That hypocrite! He said he was just holding it for someone. Wasn't his, apparently. He and I are going to have a talk. Random, I hate to be the one to tell you, but you're a teenager. It might be a few years before you can take over the planet. This was a good point. 
and the ex-galactic president in Random's memory acknowledged it, even if the teenager didn't want to. Maybe not yet, but I'll get there, believe me. I do. The square was filling up with the lunchtime crowd. Groups of ostensibly happy families, not one making the slightest attempt to kill another. How long will that last? wondered Arthur. Until someone decides that mushrooms are actually divine and we should stop chopping them into pieces. Ford appeared on the opposite side of the square and barged through the thrumming crowds, making good use of his sharp elbows. As he drew closer, Arthur recognised the look on his friend's face. I don't believe it, he said, hurling his ice cream to the ground. Daddy, said Random, shocked, there's a recycler just there. Arthur was unrepentant. He stood and stamped on the carton. It doesn't matter, because I have a feeling this planet is about to be destroyed. Isn't that right, Ford? Ford arrived, huffing. He was a writer and unaccustomed to physical exercise. Guide note, the general limit of Ford Prefect's exertion was hunting for the last clipper clam in the bucket and yanking it from its shell with clam tweezers. The most exercise Ford had ever done was when he had attained an ultimate supremo rating in the offensive art of Wang Du during a sojourn on the Hunian Hills Resort. Unfortunately, Hunian Hills is a mind-surfing resort, and so Ford had only done this exercise in his head a fact that became painfully clear when he initiated a bar fight on Jaglan Beta with five journos from the gadget periodical Big Knobs. Get your towel, Arthur. We have to leave. Arthur actually stamped a foot. I knew it! Let me guess. The Vogons are early. Ford pulled his copy of The Hitchhiker's Guide from his satchel and checked the sub-ether imager. Either it's Vogons or a very big Toblerone. This is never going to end, is it? Arthur wailed. Those green sadists won't stop until we are all dead. Ford tapped his lower lip. You know, I don't think they're after me. Just you human types. Random shielded her eyes against the sun. I can't see anything. They're up there all right. The guide never lies. That bloody guide lies all the time. It lies more than truth. It's more lies than truth. Ford spouted the standard line. The Hitchhiker's Guide is a hundred percent accurate. Reality, however, is not as reliable. 
It seemed to Arthur that he spent a considerable percentage of his waking life listening to his friend waffling on, while one world or another was about to end. "'Okay, Ford,' he said urgently. "'What should we do?' The question seemed to puzzle the Beetlejuicean. "'Do?' "'About the Vogons. How do we survive?' "'Oh, yes, that's what I came here to tell you. "'Did you see me crossing the square? "'I was all charged up, didn't care who I knocked over. "'We saw you. Now, what do we do? Can we hitchhike?' "'Ford laughed. "'Are you kidding? "'Vogons won't fall for that again. "'Even their shields have shields. "'So, what then?' "'We need to run. "'Quite quickly.' To the spaceport. There might still be time to board the Heart of Gold. I see something, said Random, pointing skywards, at what looked like a cluster of shooting stars heading their way, descending in synchronised loops through the atmosphere. Or not, said Ford. He plucked Random's ice cream from her fist and licked it slowly. Savouring every drop. The business end. Missile holographs, said Jeltz. What do you think, Gunner? The Gunner was hardly going to argue. Why not, Prostednik? Jeltz seemed almost jolly. Why not indeed? Flying horses would be nice. Flying horses it is, said the gunner, and ran the programme. Twinkle, twinkle, burbled Jeltz. Nano. Thor belched mightily and slapped the crumbs from his tunic. He clicked two fingers and Mjolnir beeped jumped from its charger on the wall and sped into his hand. Who are these invaders? the god asked Hillman. Vogons, my lord, according to the craft recognition software. Pretty tough buggers. They specialise in planet destruction. Zephod was thrilled. The Vogons are here already? This is going to be great! Epic! You will totally decimate those bastardos! Thor did a few practice swirls. Decimate? Are you sure I should, Zaf? I'm telling you now, I will not sit for more tribunals, and we're not still not sure how the immortal bashing will go down on the sub-ether. Hillman smiled sweetly. No tribunals, my lord. You were simply protecting your planet. It's in the contract. Exactly, said Zephod. It's Brian PR. Taking out a Vogon Bureau cruiser is just the thing to get you all over the major networks. BBS, Orbit, Nova, even Leviathan. Though they're a crowd of partisans. The great religicom love a bully basher among, among, almost as much as they love a martyr. Thor did a few pleaf pleaf I'll put me teeth in and try again, shall I? Thor did a few pre-flight exercises, working out the kinks. 
I hope I can put on a bit of a show this time. I think give the the viewers some drama. Be a bit more like Dad, you know, godly. I think I'm actually feeling godly. Zaphod clapped him on the thigh. That's great. It's us or them, though, so maybe you should get a move on. Thor froze in mid-hamstring stretch. Get a move on? That sounded like an order, Zaf. Gods don't take orders from mortals. Zaphod was wounded. Aye, I would never give you orders, mighty one. I wouldn't dream of it. What I'm doing is manipulating you for your own good. Guide note. The fact that Zaphod Beeblebrox was able to manipulate anyone tells us a lot about the fragile self-esteem of the person being manipulated. Especially since President Beeblebrox had only looked up the word manipulate the previous month as part of his self-improvement Word a Week programme. He had obviously not read past the root verb. Thor chewed the tip of his moustache. Is is that so? It's a good thing, big boy. A positive and respectful thing. Uh, are you sure? Absolutely. Very well, mortal. I shall deliver this planet from evil. Zaphod punched the air. Did you hear that, Hillman? Now that's a soundbite. Somebody should be videoing this guy. Thor selected the muso menu on the hammer's shaft and scrolled down until he reached Let's Get Hammered. Anthemic power chords reverberated through the food hall. Let's get... You wanna get... Hammered, he sang full-throatedly, and then executed a high-speed vertical takeoff, punching a star-shaped hole through the carbon fibre energy-absorbent roof panels. Go! Zaphod shouted after his client, wondering if Thor could tell the difference between 15 and 20%, then wondering if he himself could calculate the difference. Left brain would have to do it. Hillman Hunter was thinking about money, too. Jesus, Zephod. Have a chat with your man there. Those feckin' panels are expensive. Could he not go out the door, a perfectly good door, and do the whole hammered rigmarole outside without causing any property damage? Zephod tilted his single head. Come on, Hillman. He's a god. Cards do things big. Makes for a better story in the holy book when someone gets around to writing it. Now there's a volume that would shift a few units, said Hillman thoughtfully. Zaphod draped an arm around the Irishman's shoulders. I can give you exclusive rights. Hillman hugged the contract close to his chest. You are already dead, bucko, he said. Thor felt the wind in his hair and the bugs in his teeth. Visor, he said, and a small blue force shield crackled down from the brim of his helmet. 
This sort of thing was exactly what being a god was all about. The defying gravity, the hair, the big muscly legs, all good god stuff. This was what Thor thrived on. Flying and bashing, basically. I like to be loved too, he thought, but he did not voice this notion. Once upon a time, a god could straddle a mountaintop and roar out any old rubbish, and the mortals below would interpret the distorted echoes as omniscience-based super-wisdom. One of Odin's favourite stories in the long hall was the time he'd abducted a mortal's wife and piled insult on top of injury by shouting at the unfortunate man with characteristic crudeness that he could go and screw himself. Imagine my surprise, Odin would say in that holier-than-thou Olympus drawl that he liked to affect, when on my next visit I find a temple on that very spot with the inscription, Go through thine self. Apparently it's the path to wisdom and contentment. And of course everyone would crack up, except Frigga, who was not big on her husband bragging about his infidelities. But these days, there were recording devices everywhere. Whatever a god said was reported around the world, around the universe, verbatim. There was no more benefit of the doubt, because there was no doubt. If a god said, Oss, then everyone heard, Oss, and probably with the background noise taken out. And if a god said, I don't know, then everyone heard that too. Loki, who liked to sneak out of Asgard for a few tankards with the mortals on a weekend, had handled the diaphorist's gift-wrapped basket of Milgrist when he had spent... uh, Sorry. Loki, who liked to sneak out of Asgard for a few tankards with the mortals on the weekend, had handed the Adiaphorist's gift-wrapped basket of Milgrist when he'd spent an entire drunken evening loudly complaining of his erectile dysfunction problems. Or, as he delicately put it, My lightning rod has lost its lightning. Matter of fact, it's lost its rod too. After this, the gods who were more brain than brawn were advised to keep their mouths shut and their hammers swinging uh, when they were abroad in the universe, because a pulverised asteroid says more than words can ever say. And when I crush these Vogon guys, thought thought Thor, that's going to be a picture that no fancy-pants talky person will be able to spin into a bad thing. Then... Thor had another thought. Unless someone, somewhere, actually likes Vogons. Before he could consider the ramifications of this and their possible effects on his celebrity rating, the first cluster of missiles was upon him, and they looked a lot like horses. The business end. Constant Moan was falling to pieces, but not so as you'd notice. On the outside, he was huffing and drooling just as much as the rest of the crew. God status? demanded Jeltz. 
What? Pardon me? Uh, what, sir? Jeltz's eyes fluttered as he did the loose flaps of as did the loose flaps of flesh between his nostrils. What is the status of the god? Moan forced his eyes to stop googling in their sockets and focus on the readouts in front of him. Rising fast, coming up to meet us, Prostetnik. Excellent. Finally, a legitimate chance to roll out the quest. Generally, Moan loved a good acronym. But today, every letter may as well be D for desperation. Also death, and more than likely, damnation. Go on, son. I know you're dying to know. I'd like to know, said the gunner brightly. Quest stands for quite unwieldy. I'll try that again. Quite unwieldy experimental sublimation torpedo. Moan did not think that having the word experimental in a weapon's name was very encouraging. Moan managed to fish an idea from the mire of his despair. They were about to kill a god. A god! Prostetniks, sir, don't we have to issue a verbal declaration of intent? The earthlings have had their declaration... Just because these stragglers weren't around to hear it doesn't mean I have to waste valuable vogue seconds issuing it again. But the immortal, sir, the special directive on extraordinary encounters states that communication should be attempted before firing upon an immortal. Jeltz was pleased with the challenge. You had to trounce these young pups when they threw down the by-the-book gauntlet. This is what they will call me, he realised, and felt instantly lighter. By-the-book jelts. Perfect. But this god is an aggressor he declared, which negates the special directive. Inside, Moan quailed, but he forced himself to nod appreciatively. Of course, well spotted, Prostetnik. Well challenged, Constant, acknowledged Jeltz graciously, and then over his shoulder, Gunner, plot me a solution for the quest. Jeltz Sorry, it might be difficult, sir, admitted the gunner. I don't know what this being is made of, but the laser slides right off him. Jeltz shifted in his chair. No, no, target the earthlings. Let's see how much this god loves his people. Smart, thought Moan miserably. Very smart, 
Thor was having the time of his life. The horse missiles thundered towards the planet's surface in tight bunches, with horsey sound effects and everything. Thor whinnied aloud, then thought, Zog! Satellite cameras! and clamped his mouth shut. <laughs> he thought, feeling a little subversive. He switched tracks from Let's Get Hammered to the classic instrumental piece Gathering of the Vindelswotion, broadcasting to every network within Mjolnir's range. Thor had always liked the Vindelswotion for battle scenarios, though lately its effect had been diluted somewhat when a carbonated drinks company had used it as backing music for their guy surfing while drinking a pouch of Bipso Blaster while seducing a gaggle of groupies advert. A lot of the younger gods liked to use targeting software when they were facing down a bunch of missiles, just let the computer do all the work for them. But Thor liked to conduct his business the old-fashioned way. Nothing makes an impression on mortals like a bit of muscle and sinew, Odin used to say. Break all you can break. Listening to Odin speechifying could be about as much fun as a sword in the shank, but occasionally he came up with a worthy desider oh. <laughs> desideratum. Desideratum. I have absolutely no idea how to say that word. I'm foxed. Desideratum. Desideratum. Okay, whatever. Make of that what you will. Break all you break and break, thought Thor, and swung Mjolnir in a wide arc, peeling off to starboard and hitting the first bunch of missiles from below. Well, God, these are some good holograms. The horses thundered towards the surface of Nano, tossing their heads, even kicking up dust. Inside their transparent hides, the red eye and steel glint of imminent death by nuclear fission was vaguely visible. Thor went among them with incalescent eagerness, smashing their guidance systems with his bare fingers, delivering one massive recumbentibus after another, making shards of the casings. The torpedoes were shifting at massive speeds, but for the Asgardian they may as well have been sugar pears hanging from the sky on straw twine. He zipped among them, trademark thunderclap booming in his wake, excising detonators with sharp chops of his free hand. The horses froze, flickered, then dissipated, their pixels falling apart like electronic snowflakes. Thor heard the fizzle of a detonation inside one warhead, and he stuffed it into his belly, absorbing the nuclear blast, feeding his mitochondria, growing larger. From the ground, it seemed as though uh, Thor had swallowed the sun. The entire planet juddered, and crepuscular rays flashed from between the gods' square teeth. Nano. Hillman was impressed. Now, that's a feckin' god. None of your dead but dreaming shite with this fella. Zaphod was beginning to think he'd sold Thor a little cheap. I think we should talk about some kind of uh, bonus system. I mean, come on, Hillers. Those are big torpedoes. Hillman didn't even look at him. One, 
Don't call me Hillers. My na... Grandmother used to call me Hillers, and you and a thousand like you wouldn't be able... wouldn't be fit to dip a soldier in her boiled egg. And two... Bonus me ass. The business end. Jeltz held one finger aloft, holding the crew enthralled, mesmerising them. I could break Daddy's finger, thought Moan with suicidal desperation. Then stuff something in his mouth, one of my legs maybe. How could he then give the order? Daddy would chew off my leg, he realised. Then might the order on the screen in blood. The finger wavered to a collective rattled intake of breath. Down went the digit. The order was given. Kill that god, said Jeltz phlegmatically. Now Moan's finger went up, pointing at the forward camera display. I think that's Thor, sir. The Thor. Are you sure you want to... Kill that god, repeated Prostetnik Jeltz, grinding out the words. The gunner span a ratchet three times, then honked down a voice tube. Quest away! God will soon be dead, sir, he said. Nano. Ford Prefect had managed to hack several Galactomap sub-ether sites and was watching the big blow-up from a dozen angles on his Hitchhiker's Guide sister screen. My bookie is giving me ten to one on the Vogans, he told Arthur. I'm putting a few thousand on old Redbeard, he shrugged. Might as well. If I win, I win big. If I lose, then none of you will be around to listen to me moaning. You don't have a bomb-proof towel, I suppose, said Arthur. Sure, I have a bomb-proof towel and a matter-converting pillowcase. Arthur actually smiled. Hey, sarcasm. Well done, mate, you're learning. Something on Ford's guide pulled him out of the conversation. He pinched a section of screen and expanded it. What the zark is that? Arthur shouldered in for a look. Uh, another horse? No, no holograms for this beauty. Look at the size of that torpedo. I've seen smaller asteroids. Arthur attempted to pull together the folds of a dressing gown that he wasn't wearing. Thor will swallow it, though, won't he? I mean, he's a god. No problem, right? It's not headed for Thor, Arthur. Let me guess. Don't bother. Righto. Do you still have that joystick? Nano's Upper Atmosphere Truth be told, Thor was showing off a little in the twilight, throwing pirouettes into the routine, free-falling through the gauze of noctilucent clouds. 
exposing plenty of bronzed thigh for all the ladies watching. To ensure maximum dramatic effect, he smote the torpedoes in time to gathering of the Windelswuschen. This is too easy, he realised. Much more of this, and the viewing figures will dip. Then his immortal tympanum detected a different engine whine. The low chug of a small jet pushing a big load. These Vogons were trying to slip something past him. Thor dispatched the final horse-slash-torpedo with a perfunctory hammer swipe, then cast his gaze about the darkening sky. His godovision spotted an edged glint swooping in a pot-bellied curve towards the city of mortals below. Those bastards are going after my paycheck! Up to this point, Thor judged that he had been pretty benevolent towards these bureaucratic invaders. Okay, he had shredded their hardware, but no one was floating in space sucking down lungfuls of vacuum. Well, after he'd clobbered this sneaky new bomb with considerable sang-froid, perhaps he would send Mjolnir to punch a few holes in the Vogon hull. Thor folded his arms across his chest and dropped through the aurora of Nano's ionosphere like a rocket-charged stone, th- like like a rocket-charged stone through high G. While he could not actually be in two places at one time, Thor could certainly move from one spot to another faster than almost any other being in the universe. Guide note: brief, so as not to ruin the flow. Thor was actually the fifth fastest being in the universe. Eighth without Mjolnir to steady him. Number one was Hermes, who mainly used his divine speed to pinch pinch Ares' nipples and then run away. Thor felt the frictional reaction with the air molecules curl the tips of his beard hair. He was going about 95% flat out. There was a little more in the tank, but at those speeds there wasn't a camera in the universe that could capture his image. The new torpedo curled in below him, a massive, chunky series of rough cylinders with one small jet doing all the pushing. Thor sniffed, but he did not recognise what kind of explosive he was dealing with. The smell reminded him a little of the stink from his own clothes after a night spent boozing past a black hole's event horizon, but not quite the same. What is this, then? It didn't matter. Even if there wasn't a single bead of explosive inside, the impact crater alone would be far bigger than the city, and the shock metamorphism would liquefy a good section of the continent. So, if any mortals did survive the explosion, they would only live long enough to be engulfed by lava. Thor touched down on the torpedo's fuselage and clambered along the shaft towards the nose cone. There was no urgency now as he had several seconds before impact, which was an eternity of time for a god of his abilities. Should I toss the payload into space? he asked himself, leaning into the wind. Or should I nudge the entire thing off course into the ocean? What would look best on camera? Thor sucked on the tip of his moustache 
as he remembered something Zaphod had said. I wonder. The business end. Detonate the quest, ordered Jeltz. Yes, Prestetnik, said the gunner. Forgive us, moaned broadcast to the universe. We are Vogon. Nano. By now, the mammoth torpedo was clearly visible to the naked eye, swooping relentlessly towards Innisfree, laboured jet streams sputtering behind like Morse code. Dot dash dot dash dot, said Ford. I think the whole thing reads, Arthur, Arthur Philip Dent is a jerk and complete asshole." Arthur was too tired for his irritation to have much force. Is, is this the time for jokes, Ford? Is it really? It seemed as though the entire population of Nano was crowded into John Wayne Square. All colours and creeds united, either by something that could be called the human soul or their paddleless state in the creek of shite they were currently mired in. Random sidled up to her father, and linked his arm. This planet could have had a future, she said. I was going to represent the people. Arthur squinted at the huge column of destruction thrumming their way. Your mother is going to kill me, he sighed, then lifted his eyes as a collective ooh rose from the crowd. Now, that's something you don't see every day, he thought, resorting to clichés in his amazement. Thor was walking along the giant rocket, underneath it. Random put her head on his shoulder for the first and possibly last time. We saved, Daddy. How many times can one group of people be saved? Surely the universe doesn't have any more chances for the dents. Ford squeezed between them. One more, at least. So far as I know, nothing can kill a god. Then the quest exploded. Sort of. This was not a conventional explosion, in the sense that if one was expecting the traditional blast, bang, kaboom, favoured by movie directors and RPG writers the universe over. Then one would feel slightly cheated. There was no blast wave, no flame, no flying debris, just a loud whoomph, and the ballooning of a perfect cuboid of green material. The green material crackled and flexed, picked up a little cartoon interference from a local satellite network for a few seconds, and then split into 16 small cubes. Ford said what most people were thinking. Those cubes are pretty small, a lot smaller than Thor. The cubes popped one by one in rapid sequence, 
and what debris was inside them rains to the earth as grey ash. Thor was gone. I've got that joystick here somewhere, said Ford, rummaging in his satchel, and a couple of sea dragon eggs. May as well go out singing. Something twinkled in the sky over Zaphod's head. Look, do you see that? Hillman did not answer. As he had decided, he was not talking to Zaphod Fekin Beeblebrox. Zaphod was off running across the city centre parking zone. Souvenir, he called over his shoulder. Souvenir! Zaphod placed himself under the falling object, jigging about for position. Could I? he wondered. Is it possible? Camera! he screamed, just in case. Somebody get this! Of course, I, I could very well be killed. But if he survived, how many votes would the video clip be worth? How many subscriptions to his sub-ether site? The object did not fall as a normal object would. Of course it doesn't, thought Zephyr, because it's a divine talisman made from godly stuff, mined from the places that you get metal in Asgard. It floated and bloated and flipped and skipped, chose a size, then changed its mind. Zaphod stuffed his hands in his pocket so he wouldn't be tempted to use them. This was a strictly hands-free trick. Down it came, erratically, Zaphod dancing around on his heelless boots, matching its jinx, then finally, incredibly, Thor's helmet landed square on Zaphod Beeblebrox's head, shrinking to fit snugly. Yes! hooted Zaphod, punching the air. Did you see that, Eris? Did you bloody see that? I had two heads until recently, so that took even more skillage than you would think it would take. Tell me I am not special. Tell me! Hillman broke his vow of Coventry to call across the car park. I told you not to call me Hillers, you feckin' gobshite. And as for special, there was nothing very special about that god you sold me. Zaphod was suddenly very serious. I will not hear a word against Thor, he said. He died to save you. Hillman jerked a thumb at the Vogon Bureau cruiser hovering above the city. He didn't do a great feckin' job of it then, did he? The business end. Prostetnik Jeltz's armpits were moist with delight. God, that's a sentence I don't want to say ever again. He was unfamiliar with the emotion and for a moment wondered if the ship had somehow slipped back into hyperspace. But no. The world outside their window was in focus and ready for destruction. Order a 
dozen more of those torpedoes, he said to no one in particular. The earthlings did not seem to have any artillery of their own and were defenceless now that their god had been dispatched to the afterlife. Jelts chewed on the fat flesh of his lower lip. If gods already lived in heaven, then where did they go when they died? Were the gods all autolatrous narcissists, or did they perhaps worship their own uber-gods and move on to a higher level of heaven after their deaths? I have created a brand new conundrum, he thought, and the idea pleased him greatly. What do you think of your father now, Moan? He said to the bobbing subordinate at his elbow. Moan hesitated before answering, and the slobber sheen of victory was absent from his lips. A prosthetic might be tempted to think that this constant did not revel in this conflict, even though it was perfectly lethal. Jelts felt certain that the gods would file a complaint, but he doubted it would go past the strongly worded letter stage, not when the galactic government had the quest in their arsenal. Come to think of it, wasn't it about time the gods paid a little tax? Those Asgardians had been sitting on prime real estate since shortly after the beginning of time and had never contributed so much as a spent battery to the government coffers. Well, Moan, what say you? Moan was shaken to his jellied core. They had just killed a god removed and immortal from the universe. Surely there would be consequences. An equal and opposite reaction must be on the way down the cosmic pipe. And even, even if there were no consequences, it was so utterly sad. Moan took a gowpen of his own double chins, hoisting his head erect. I am stunned, Prostetnik. You did it when no one else would have. Hmm, corbled Jelts, finishing the corbel on a satisfied hmm. I did, didn't I? There were whispers back in Megabrantis that I was past it. Imagine that, by the book, jilts, past it. By the book? My new soubriquet. Like it? What happened to utter bastard? Jilts laid an almost boneless hand on his son's shoulder. I am hoping that you will be utter bastard one day. Moan hung his head. I already am. We all are. 
jelts, felt his armpit glands squirt. Well said, my boy. Well said. The gunner interrupted this almost tender moment. Well, if not tender, at least not heavy with implied violence. Sir, uh, the earthlings were drifting. Jeltz was now suddenly loath to deal with these earthlings. It seemed such an anticlimax. But business was blood, so... He rolled his left eye towards the screen and saw that the business end was indeed straying from its geostationary position above the planetoid's main city. Not that it matters, he mumbled. My torpedoes could shoot around corners. He flapped a hand at the gunner. Exterminate them. Resistance is useless. And all that. Yes, sir said the gunner with unseemly glee. Being Vogon was about getting the job done, not about overtly whooping it up over the annihilation of another species so that your crew members could brand you a sicko and vow to send their daughters to another star system before they would let them date you. Half a dozen low yields should be enough to vaporise the earthlings. If I could make a suggestion, Pastetnik, it would be within our remit to confiscate the planet these people purchased. I'm sure the Criminal Assets Bureau would be very interested. Jeltz, 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 was very impressed. Why, oh, Gunner, that is a fine suggestion. Why don't you pull your chair a little closer to me? I believe I would like to rub your head. My greasy crown would be honoured, sir. Uh, just indulge me for a moment as I blow up these people. Now, that's how your green nose, said Jeltz to his son. But Moan wasn't listening because he'd had an idea that was doing its very best to knock him off his feet and evaporate his brain fluid with its very audacity. Constant Moan unstrapped the drool cup from around his neck, raced across the bridge and clobbered the gunner across the brow just as the officer's finger feathered the fire button. The metal container sank through a layer of blubber, then connected with cranium. The gunner's eyes crossed, uncrossed, then closed. Once again, the crew froze to see what Moan's fate would be. Casual violence was not unusual on a Vogon ship, but violent interruption of a prosthetic's order being carried out certainly was. Jeltz leaned back with a swish of abdominal liquid and a hiss of chair. Constant moan. This is the second time today. I am intrigued. The elongation
implication of this last word implied that Moan's explanation had better be superlative in the history of explanations for seemingly insane actions. Better even than that of Jamois Total, the Kirstian hemagogue who had accidentally brained his wife with his signet ring in his sleep and then claimed the bones of his ancestors had made him do it, even going so far as to have the bones shipped from another planet, artificially aged, and placed under the roots of his wango-pango tree. Moan's skin was sweating on the inside, a rare Vogon condition, aggravated by anxiety or dust mites, which causes the epidermal pores to leach moisture from the surrounding air and plump up the basal keratinocytes. I thought you had that under control, Moan, said Jeltz with obvious disappointment as his son swelled in front of his eyes. Go homeopathic, your mother said, and I listened. Zark, help me. Next time, we'll straight into the leech pit for you, my boy. Now, as I was saying, intrigued. This is not right, Moan blurted. How do you mean? asked Jeltz, puzzled. Ethically? In a right and wrong sense? Oh, please don't tell me you've developed morals to go with those nimble feet of yours. Jeltz drew a horrified breath. <gasps> Do not tell me my son has evolved. Moan clenched his little fists and stood his ground. Firstly, the dust filter must be broken in here, Prostetnik, because my pores are filling up. Secondly, I mean this is not right as it is not by the book. Jelts Wattle wobbled. Not by the book, you say? Not by the... He swivelled towards the compost. Record this, would you? I may have to explain the execution to his mother. Moan forged ahead with his explanation, as his only other option was to lie down and sob for the state of his race. Our order was to eliminate all earthlings. I do do hope your argument improves, because so far... These people bought a planet from the Magrathians. Ah, I see where you're going. But the galactic government does not govern the Magrathians. They have their own little republic, which is a terrible example for the colonies, if you ask me. You are correct, Pustetnik, of course you are. But the Magrathians are a registered business with the government. They have a trade agreement. I suppose... Moan ran to the nearest console, neglecting to mask his agility. Look, he said, quickly pulling up the planning application from the New World's office in Megabrantis. Nano's planet status has been approved by central planning. It is difficult for a Vogon to find paperwork irritating, Twinkle Toes, said Jeltz dryly. But I confess that unless you arrive at a point soon, 
Point on the horizon, Pustetnik. The Central Planning Office approved Nano as a tax-paying member planet to the Planetary Union as governed by the Galactic Government. Are you just saying the same thing in a different way? Is that why I sent you to university? Jelt picked up a microphone and shouted into the PA, We still need to eliminate the Earthlings! Look, down here, the last paragraph. Megabrantis, as a matter of routine, also blanket approved the citizenship application of the planet's owners. Moan felt his swelling subside, and steam drifted in wisps from his paws, whistling gently. He was talking law now, and no Vogon would argue with the word of law. Legally, the earthlings are no longer earthlings. They are nanoites, or maybe nanoceans or nanolings. I'm not sure, but I am sure that if you zap these people, you zap a nice group of high-band taxpayers who've never filed a return. Imagine by the book jelts frying citizens who owe back tax. Wouldn't hoops the runaround your old hall of croopst buddy love to hear about that? At this point, Moan's own supply of croopst was completely exhausted, and he stumbled backwards into the monitors, his body temperature sending a rainbow arc flashing across the thermoreactive gas screens. Whoa! said Jeltz, and it was not a word he used lightly or often. He pinched, oh, sorry, he winched himself out of his chair and allowed his abdominus torso to lug him forward. Constant bone, you have scuppered this mission. Prostetnik loomed above his remarkable son, casting an amorphous shadow, amorphous shadow on Moan's olive, pale face. I did what I had to be done. Jeltz reached out his hand, though this was more for the gesture than the actual practicality of grabbing onto it, as he may well have tried to hang onto a rubber glove of a dairy-based spread. You have seen the truth of the word, and to the word comes order. Stand, my son, come stand at my elbow. Moan, who was expecting to be a splat scraper on the next hull detail, stood on wobbly legs and coughed up a quart of fluid and two of the symbiotic hairless flay blues that all Vogons carry around in their bile sacks to break down concretions. Oh no, poor Hanky and Spanky. Jeltz brushed the sopping balls aside with the side of his foot. Forget those parasites. We have millions in the waste recyclers. He activated a bungee pulley from the bridge ceiling, 
one of several set into the gantry for just such Vogon falling over emergencies. Moan still had the spark of craft left in him to pretend he needed it, and hoisted himself erect. Turgid would have been all over this, Jelts confided to his son. I wouldn't be at all surprised if his monitoring communications back in Megabrantis, waiting for me to make a bog hog's ear of this mission. There's nothing worse than obliterating. The wrong people? offered Moan. Jelts chuckled wetly at his subordinate's little joke. The wrong taxpayers, Constant. You need to watch that sense of humour. Other crew members don't have as many levels as we do. <coughs> Your sarcasms could be mistaken for actual sympathisings. Oh, said Moan, a handy non-committal syllable to have around when you haven't the first clue as to what you're actually feeling. Jelts plopped backwards into his seat. Old Turgid was expecting me to arrive back at base with a big bagful of cock-up. <laughs> Instead, thanks to you, we return heroes with a god's scalp under our belts and a heads-up for the tax office. Everyone wins. Except Thor. What did I tell you, son? No, um, jokes. Precisely. Now, squeeze onto this chair beside me, and we shall enjoy the false hope of hyperspace together. Moan's head spun, and his hands shook. He had come to the Earthling's defence, and somehow that had become a good thing. It was the law, he realised. The law saved us. From now on, I must use the word. He stood, shell-shocked arms raised, while two decks swabs greased him down for the chair. Jelts indulged in a moment of semi-fondness, which he permitted himself twice a year. Look at my son, all wide-eyed about his first time on the captain's knee. I thought that it would be better to send him away, but after his performance today... That boy stays at my elbow. He will be one of the greats. A destroyer of worlds. A confounder of petitioners. Someday, my son will truly be an utter bastard. And that, at 11 minutes past nine, is where we'll leave it. Super. So, they're all safe-ish or something. I don't know. What the hell? We'll find out more, I guess. Thank you so much for joining me, as usual. Uh, quick recap, please do go to patreon.com forward slash thebeardedwit. Uh, and become a patron from as little as the price of a cup of coffee a month to support me keep this stuff going. 
if you could also go, or if you can't do that, go to supporter.acast.com forward slash the hyphen bearded hyphen wit and make a contribution. That would be very cool as well. Thank you so much, all of you, for being here. Um, Apologies if you got some rather confusion. Uh, I realized when I was sort of getting everything set up early this evening that Facebook had decided that this should have been happening at nine minutes past nine this morning, and I couldn't change the thing, so I had to set up a completely new event, but whatever, there you go. We got there in the end. Thank you all for your company. We are 85% through the book, or probably less than that, actually, because it's going to be blurb at the end of the pages. Don't know. It's getting close to the end. Oh my God! You're all wonderful. Look after yourselves. See you same time, same place next week. Take care, everyone. See ya. Bye bye.